to the soul, a parched soul. We long for that. Then in Ezekiel 37, you have the dry bones. We talked about that. When the Holy Spirit comes, he breathes life into us. We come alive. And so we have this future glimpse always looking. So then we move from there to Jesus once we step into the New Testament. And what did Jesus say? He starts talking about what it means to be born of the Spirit, to be given life. He talks about what it means to finally begin to worship in spirit and in truth, that when the Spirit comes, we will be able to worship the way we were created to worship, whatever that is. At the time, it was a mystery. I feel like 2,000 years later, we're just now beginning to figure it out. Maybe we're not yet. But when the Spirit comes, we will experience a whole different level internally of worship that we've never seen before. And so this spirit is slowly being introduced to us. And today I want to look at 1 Corinthians 12 because this is where the spirit actually comes and does something fantastic. I mentioned just a minute ago that this chapter, these chapters are well known for their emphasis on the, on the abuses in Corinth around the speaking of tongues. But the real issue is not about uh, spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. The real issue is something much deeper. Look in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Depending on your translation, you may have different readings than what I have, or uh, in the, in the uh, bottom you may have alternates. Mine says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There's a very big debate on whether that should be translated about the gifts of the Spirit. I personally don't think that's the best translation. Some of your Some of your translations say now about spiritual people or about matters of the spirit. The reason why I don't think it should be translated spiritual gifts is because in verse 4, he starts talking about gifts, and that's a very different word. It's a very different word. This word about spiritual matters, verse 1, I'm going to translate it that way. Now about these matters of the spirit, spiritual things, I don't want you to be uninformed or misinformed I want you to know the truth now this verse didn't just pop up out of nowhere in the middle of 1 Corinthians if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3 you'll discover that this is a very big part of the whole discussion of Corinth let me give you just a little bit of background of what's going on in Corinth Corinth is a Greek city lots and lots of um, cults and religious groups all around the city temples, all that sort of thing. They all had their own belief system. And what they were all striving to decide or to, to, to figure out was what we call today spirituality. That's a big term in our culture, isn't it? Today. Spirituality. And they're all trying to achieve spirituality. I've probably had two or three conversations this week alone with people that asked me about what is spirituality? How do you get there? How do you know when you've arrived? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Spirituality. So in Corinth, this was a very big topic. And spirituality was typically defined as something that you have to work really hard to get to. And when you get to it, you've achieved some pretty high status, some pretty high level. And so two of the main viewpoints in Corinth at this time, which, by the way, describes the this, these books of First and Second Corinthians was two extremes. One were the aesthetics, those that said everything in the world that's physical is evil, so we should shun everything. We, should not eat, we shouldn't enjoy our food. 
We shouldn't enjoy our uh, sexual relationships with our spouses. We shouldn't enjoy any of that. It's all evil. Let's just do away with all of it. Then you had this group on the other side. By the way, this is how you achieve true spirituality is by sacrifice, by, by cutting out everything that's joyful. If it feels good, don't do it. Then you have the other group over here, and they're saying just the opposite. It doesn't matter. Spirituality, we achieve that when we die. So you might as well have fun. It's okay to do whatever you want to do because spirituality will come later on. These are the hedonists. If it feels good, do it. If it feels good, don't do it. So you have these two extreme groups, and you see this all the way through the book of Corinth. Talking about, book of Corinth talks about it, sexual relations. Some people say you shouldn't do it. Some people say you should, and it doesn't matter. 1 Corinthians 6, it's okay, do whatever you want. 1 Corinthians 7, no, it's not okay, don't do whatever you want. Some people say you shouldn't eat meat offered idols, do away with all of it. Other people say, no, it's okay to eat meat offered idols, have at it, it doesn't matter. So all the way through when you're reading these conflicts in Corinth, these are these two extremes that Paul's trying to weave a, a very healthy line down the middle. And in the, and in the process of weaving the line down the middle, he begins to talk about, well, let's answer the question, what is true spirituality? So listen to this background. He starts off with, in chapter 1, a whole discussion. Well, first of all, the whole church is divided. They're all split right down the middle. What a good place to be. In a, in a church, split right down the middle. And so he talks about wisdom. What is wisdom? What about the cross? Is that foolishness? In fact, if you want to read this chapter and talk more about it, Mark just did a paper on it in seminary. Go have a conversation. Take him out to coffee. Let him explain it to you. Because everybody views wisdom very differently. Some people look at the cross and they laugh at it. They mock it. They're, it doesn't make sense to them at all. Others look at the cross and they think, wow, that's like the most stupid thing I've ever heard. And all of this is in this first chapter. Then in chapter 2, he begins to introduce this concept, what is true wisdom? And he says in verse 6, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. No, verse 7, we declare God's wisdom. We declare God's wisdom. So he's jumping right into this discussion at Corinth of wisdom and spirituality. And he's going to weigh in with his viewpoint of what true wisdom is. We declare God's wisdom. It's a mystery that has been hidden from a long time past, but now has been revealed. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. If they understood true wisdom, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, or what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love them. In other words, God's wisdom, you can't figure it out in a test tube. You can't discern it. Your mind won't ever think about it. It'll never come. If you had a million years, you would never come to the truth. I've asked you several times, uh, if, if, if you were in charge of the universe, would you do it the way God did it? No, none of us would. No, this is wisdom that is way beyond us. Now, he's getting the Corinthians' attention when he says that because wisdom is something way up here. It's something we have a hard time figuring out. But then he goes on and he says, for God has revealed them to us by his spirit. And here comes the spirit. We serve a very good God. 
who gives us his spirit so that we can understand this. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except the person's own spirit within? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, I'll tell you where he's heading. True spirituality, you can never figure it out. You can't get there. You can try and try and try, and you always come up empty, looking for more. It only comes because God gives us his spirit. No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Now pause with me just for a second. Do you see how generous, how giving, how loving this God is that he would give us his spirit? I'm not about to give you my spirit. There's too much that I would be embarrassed over. You only get a glimpse of who I am based on the way I live my life and the way I talk to you. But God wants you to know him fully, completely, thoroughly, from beginning to end, so he gives you a spirit so that you may know the deep things of God. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught to us by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities. Here's that word that's in 1 Corinthians 12. Explaining spiritual things, explaining things that matter outside of this world, but they're, they're taught to us by the Spirit. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. There's no way for you to achieve spirituality without the Spirit of God. It's not possible. You can search all day long, and the closer you get, the more you realize it's still a long ways away. It's one of those echoes. It's one of those desires in our spirit. You can't quite get there. Then he goes on in chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. I can't even talk to you as spiritual people. Why? Because your baby's in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready, because you are still worldly. Why? Because there is jealousy and quarreling among you. That's how we know that we are not spiritual if we start dividing and fighting. That's how we know. That's how we know. We've talked as elders many times that our greatest responsibility is to protect the unity of the faith of this congregation. Because the moment we start fighting and quarreling, we've lost it. It's gone. Whatever spirituality we have achieved has disappeared. We become worldly. Or let me say it another way. How can we talk to a world about unity if we're not unified? The world already understands fracture, doesn't it? Doesn't it already understand dissension, debate, argument, disagreement? This country is the most dis divided country that it's been in my lifetime right now. We understand that. We got it. We know how to live lives of, of fracture and division. If we don't, as a church, protect unity, we have nothing to say to a world that lives a fractured life. So the background to all this in Corinth is that they were all trying to achieve true spirituality 
through various means, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't figure out. And so what ended up was saying, some were saying, I'm from Apollos, I'm in that group. Some are saying, well, I'm from Paul, I'm in that group. And others, the spiritual ones, say, well, I'm with Jesus, I'm in that group, right? They're all divided. And Paul says, are you guys idiots? Don't you realize you lost the battle before you even started it? If you really want to achieve true spirituality, it requires a couple of things. One is the spirit of God, and the second one is that you set aside your differences. Now, turn back to 1 Corinthians 12. Now, about the things that matter concerning the spirit, concerning about spiritual things, about spirituality, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. They all came from different groups. What they had in common is they're all moving toward the world. And these mute idols can't solve the question of spirituality. That's why spirituality is an all, the quest for spirituality has got to be at an all-time high in our country. And no one's achieving it. How can you explain, lead me to spirituality, when you're no different than I am? How can a rock lead me to spirituality? See the problem? We're all equal. That's why it requires God to intervene, or we're never going to make it. And he said, so you turned all these mute idols, and guess what? You didn't find it. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. We're going to talk about that one in a moment. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit that enables us to acknowledge the truth that we can't prove. Okay, it's the spirit of God that enables us to acknowledge the truth that we can't prove. Now, to us, that seems kind of anemic. Well, the Holy Spirit, well, I can say Jesus is Lord, I don't need the spirit to do that. But you have to understand, in the first century world, the law required that they say Caesar is Lord. So to claim that Jesus is Lord might cost you your life. That takes true courage, and that takes true belief in this one true living God. Because the moment you say Jesus is Lord, you're about to pay a big price. We don't pay that price today in our culture. We don't, but they did back then. So what Paul is saying here is that for you to really affirm the things that you can't prove, the things that you believe to be true, requires the Spirit of God. And then right smack in the middle, you have this little thing here. I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. Well, we all kind of go, well, duh. Why would we say that as Christians? You know, we're going to curse Jesus. Again, this is a little phrase, hotly, hotly debated. I found at least 12 different ways people are trying to make sense of this. Let me give you my thoughts. First of all, to be technical, it's an ellipsis. There's no verb. Jesus be cursed. It just says Jesus cursed. When you put it in the context of Corinthians, you find something very interesting in the culture of Corinth. You see, they all had their different gods and their different ways of practicing, their different idols, their different worship practices. But one thing that was common among all of them was they called down the gods to curse their enemies or to curse their competitors. 
there's at least 27 examples now that we've discovered where somebody called on their God to curse their competitor, a business part of competitor, because I want to win and I want them to lose. So whatever my God is, curse them and make it worse. By the way, that's, that's in Corinthians as well. Lawsuits. 1 Corinthians 6. Why do we sue one another? To get an advantage? Why are you doing that, Paul says? It's the same exact attitude. Why are you suing one another? Why not rather be wronged because unity is more important than winning? But that was the culture of Corinth. That was their culture. I'll do whatever I can to get the advantage over you in whatever arena I happen to be in, if that includes calling on the gods to curse you. So maybe, and I think this is true, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, deliver this curse, or Jesus, curse this person. This is the problem of the whole church. They're divided at Corinth from beginning to end. They're suing each other. They're hating each other. They're treating each other poorly. And Paul says you lost the battle before you ever started. No one who believes in this one true God would ever call on Jesus to curse someone else. In fact, they would turn around and say the opposite. Jesus is Lord, and I'm willing to pay with my life to say that. That's how important you are. It doesn't do any good to walk around, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord by myself. Why would I say Jesus is Lord? Because you're there and I can lead you in faith. So in front of a culture that's willing to, to perhaps take my life or imprison me, I'm willing to say to you, Jesus is Lord. I'm not willing to say, Jesus, curse that person so I could get the advantage. Does it make sense? When you put it in this context, this is the beginning of true spirituality is recognizing that first of all, we need God's spirit. And second of all, we live in a world with each other. We live together. Now look at what he says. Verse four, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. All of a sudden, he's about to unfold the Trinity before us. The same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but we have the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. He bases this whole idea in Trinitarian theology, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? Because what we see with the Trinity is a perfect model of what we are to be like. God is love, John says. God is love. How could God be love if he's by himself and there's no one else? Do we believe God is one? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 8 affirms that. God is one. This is what we call unity and diversity or diversity and unity. God is one, and yet he has three persons. So if God is love, what do we see? We look at the Trinity, and we see the members of the Trinity loving each other, living in perfect unity, perfect harmony, the way we should be doing it. So he bases this whole idea on his model of God is Trinity, three in one. But don't ask me to explain it to you. It's about the best I can do. I can get a little bit more technical, but it's really difficult. All I know is if God is only one, then we have a problem with God as love. This is the basis for the way we live our lives, right here. There's one God, 
one spirit, one Lord, and they give gifts. To each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. There it is. Why are you given a spiritual gift? For your benefit? No. No. Given for the common good. You get the picture? We've only read a little bit of this chapter. The underlying problem with tongues that he's going to address later on is that they were abusing each other with it. They were doing the very same thing all the cults were doing. I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to get an advantage over you. Maybe I'm going to call on Jesus to curse you. Pray that way. And he's saying that's all wrong. That's all wrong. True spirituality begins because we come together in unity. That's this whole message. You read the whole thing. Verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We are all baptized by one spirit as to form one body. This is the heart of spirituality. So if you want to know what spirituality is, spirituality is becoming aware in the presence of community because of God's spirit. What a great gift we have been given. Right here. I love you folks. Even the ones that come from Kansas and other places. The ones I don't even know. I love you folks. And what does it mean to live in relationship with the Spirit of God drawing us together in unity? That's the beginning of the definition of spirituality right there. Now, back to the beginning. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit brought us right here. The Holy Spirit brought us a gift that the world can't find. They're searching and searching and searching, and they can't get there. It's not possible. The answer isn't to have a Democratic president or a Republican president. That's not the answer. That may help. The answer is that we find the Spirit of God. We turn to Jesus. Now, we're focusing on the Spirit, and I want you to see this is a gift that God gave us when he gave us his Spirit. Because when he gave us his spirit, first of all, we could understand truth. And second of all, is we could live in relationship together in a way that's honoring, in a way that exalts and glorifies him. You heard Rob Schmidt when we were singing this morning talking about how do, where does God's glory, where do we see it? We see it in the way we care for each other, in the way we relate to each other. That's where God glorifies himself. Ephesians 3.20, to God be the glory in the church. Right here. So now we've moved in our discussion to all the way down here where the Spirit is beginning to be revealed in all of His glory. And guess what? He brings us incredible, wonderful gifts. And the world is looking for that, aren't they? Everywhere I talk to people all around the county, everybody's looking for it, and they're finding different ways. Some people using drugs. Some people using different religious practices. They're all searching for the same thing, and they can't quite get there. That's why they're trying so hard. Let's introduce Jesus to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, sending your spirit to us. Not just to live with us. As uh, Rob said earlier, twice in Corinthians, he says our bodies together, collectively, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You came to live within us. You came to reside came to dwell in us. 
Thank you, Lord.